to another edition of NC Talks. Today you're joining me, Lauren Pulling, Editor of Neurology Central, and Robin Klein, a Professor of Medicine, Immunobiology and Neuroscience at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri in the USA. Robin's research focuses on the pathogenesis of neuroinflammatory diseases in the CNS, specifically the mechanism of leukocyte recruitment into the CNS and the direct effects of inflammatory mediators on resident neural cells. Today we're talking to Robin about her work in this area as part of our spotlight on neuroimmunology. So we'll be discussing Robin's research, how inflammatory processes contribute to neurological disease, and whether immunology and inflammation could be the basis of an eventual preventative treatment for neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's. So first, could you tell us a little about your background and what led you to working in the field of neuroinflammation? Sure. So um, I think what I'll do is I'll tell you um, really how I got interested in this from early on in my training when I was um, an MD-PhD student at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, which is in the Bronx, which is in New York City. And this was um, in the late 80s, early 90s. And I had entered the program and was very interested in neuroscience. And uh, Albert Einstein was among the had among the best neuroscience programs in the country. Um, so I, the first part of an MD PhD program is you know taking MD coursework and then you go into graduate school. And so I ended up getting my PhD in neuroscience and I actually studied astrocyte heterogeneity, which was really not really known to be um, something factual at that time. People thought all astrocytes were alike. But then I finished my PhD and I went on to do my clinical clerkships to finish my MD. And this was in an era where the HIV epidemic um, was really full-blown in New York City. So it had started in San Francisco and then in New York. And when I entered the medical uh, wards at Jacoby Hospital at Montefiore at all the city hospitals in New York City, what I found was that there were more than 50% of the inpatients were young people dying of opportunistic infections because they had AIDS. And there weren't any drugs in those days. Um, and what was really interesting to me was I had been told that the brain had really no immune responses and had been taught a little bit about multiple sclerosis as a disease where the brain seems to have a big immune response and look how bad that is. And suddenly I was observing that many of these patients had infectious diseases that were attacking the central nervous system. So there were patients who had toxoplasmosis, cryptococcal meningitis, TB meningitis, EBV lymphomas. Um, and so I began turning to my um, mentors and asking them whether they thought that T cells, in fact, were very important for the health of the brain because it seemed to me that this is what we were observing. And really nobody had any answers for me. People sort of scratched their head and said, yeah, I guess that must be true. Um, and I said, is anybody studying this? I mean, it seems to me that the brain does have immune response. It seems to be really important. And um, there was, I got a lot of blank looks. And so I decided then and there that this was going to be my niche, that this was really important, that it wasn't getting any attention, that 
I wanted to be a neuroimmunologist. And so I finished my MD, and then I decided rather than becoming a neurologist, because the neurologists had really no training in host pathogen interactions, they really had no training in immunology, I thought becoming an, an, um, an internal medicine physician with subspecialty in infectious diseases was a really important step for me. And then after I finished that, I went to um, uh, do a postdoctoral fellowship in immunology so I could learn more in-depth immunology. So I was formally trained in neuroscience, infectious diseases, and immunology. And then um, since coming to Washington University uh, School of Medicine, I've now had informal training in virology through um, one of my collaborators and colleagues. And so that's how I ended up studying neuroinflammation. It was really HIV that led me into it. Very interesting. So what are your current research focuses? So in my lab, we, we focus on immune activation in the central nervous system, and we look at this in the context of viral and autoimmune encephalitides. And um, in, in being among the sort of early folks who were studying how T-cells enter the brain, you know, how do they perform their functions there. I ended up doing a lot of work at, right at the blood-brain barrier, and, and it turned out that um, a lot of the work early on in my lab and since has focused on immune activation at the blood-brain barrier in the setting of viruses and autoimmunity and looking at really how the barrier functions, how it responds and senses infections, and how it's um, regulated by innate immunity. And then the other sort of focuses of my lab are on um, uh, brain function, really, in the setting of either post-infectious viral encephalitis or um, autoimmune injury and looking at um, things like um, hippocampal function, um, synapse, synaptic plasticity, neurogenesis, and how inflammation in the brain impacts on those processes and how that leads to behavioral disturbances. I never thought I'd be a behavioral neuroscience scientist, and I'm not, collaborate with those who are, but we now actually do some behavioral studies in the lab. Um, and so this is really what we're focused on. We've been looking at a variety of neurotropic viruses, and these are all arboviruses, so they're transmitted by arthropods, mosquitoes, ticks, etc. Um, and we've been looking at how these viruses gain access to the brain, how the immune response in the brain serves to control viral infections. Um, so I got away from HIV. I did originally start with looking at um, HIV um, proteins and how they impact on neuronal function um, and then moving towards uh, T-cell entry, which is likely to be the cells that bring the virus into the brain through immune surveillance. So what effect do inflammatory mediators have on uh, resident neuro neural cells and how could this contribute to neurological symptoms and disease? So it turns out that um, there's likely to be many effects of inflammatory mediators on resident neural cells, and they're, they're not all bad. Um, so one of the early um, ways of thinking about inflammation in the brain um, has always been to think of it as something that's negatively impacting on brain function, but I, I think that there's um, real need for inflammatory processes to lead the healing um, uh, mechanisms after neuronal injury and after injury of other resident neural cell types. 
Um, although one interesting paper we published recently was focused on what happens in the brain after infection with West Nile virus. So West Nile is, a, is another virus transmitted by mosquitoes, and it has arrived um, in, it arrived actually in New York City in 1999, and it has really become endemic throughout all of um, the Western Hemisphere. And patients who have had neuroinvasive forms of the disease, because it can cause encephalitis, um, those patients, as it turns out, about half of them will continue to have memory disturbances seemingly for the rest of their lives. Um, and so we were we decided to model this in a mouse to look really at the function of the hippocampus in the setting of um, recovery from West Island virus and found have found some really interesting um, effects of inflammation on hippocampal function and one of them is the upregulation of complement within virally infected neurons but also activated microglia and that this complement mediates uh, synapse elimination in the hippocampus um, which we showed was correlated to the extent of learning in animals when they were doing mazes. Um, and so I think that when we observed that the neuroinfected neurons were really the ones making complement, it occurred to me that complement could be a mechanism by which um, the brain prevents transsynaptic spread of viruses and eliminates, because it was really only the presynaptic termini that were eliminated, and really disconnects those neurons from other neurons. Um, and so these inflammatory mediators and, and these um, processes that would be limiting the extent of infection and walling off infection per se to infected neurons and removing them um, would be a positive effect of an immune response in the brain, but the negative effect is obviously the loss of the synapses. So that could underlie memory dysfunction um, in patients. And we did look at human tissues and also found that synapses were eliminated in patients that had succumbed to West virus encephalitis. Um, so that's, that's sort of an example of how inflammatory mediators would impact um, through um, attempting to control infection could impact on brain function in a negative sense. So, um, sort of perhaps more generally, how significant do you think uh, inflammatory processes are in the mechanisms of neurodegenerative disease? So, I think that they are extremely significant, and I think that um, there's been really a lack of attention to um, inflammatory processes in the research of, of neurodegenerative diseases. I think that's the why why things have not moved where they need to be in terms of understanding the causes and developing new ways to control it. And I think that it's um, it's likely to be an, an underlying factor of all neurologic diseases. So it's funny because I've come full circle. I used to, you know, what I mentioned earlier was that I didn't go into neurology because there was really no emphasis on inflammation, no understanding of immunology. And I think that moving forward, I think that part of neurology training is going to need to be in neuroimmunology. And I think that folks who are studying neurodegenerative diseases are not going to need to be neuroimmunologists. Yeah, it's certainly a, a growing field at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and then there's diseases such as, you know, anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, 
um, and all of these sort of antibody-based CNS disorders, which I think are going to be very important in the field of psychiatry. I think that autoimmune diseases are going to end up being what are the underlying factors in many of our, you know, severe psychotic disorders. Um, and so I think neuroinflammation is going to end up being the foundation of all types of neurologic issues and diseases and problems. Mm. So um, your lab has also investigated the role of inflammatory cues in regulating CNS repair. Do you think that this mechanism is something that could be successfully exploited in the future to treat viral infections and neurodegenerative disease? I would hope so. I would hope that um, as, um, as we learn more and more about how um, inflammatory cues actually impact on other families of molecules in the brain, such as growth factors, um, such as um, factors that contribute to um, uh, stem cell uh, lineage so that we can, we might be able to actually direct cells to um, different lineage fates because there are um, neural progenitor cells in the brain and they do um, in some areas of the brain make new neurons but can also potentially make new oligodendrocytes, astrocytes, etc. I think that this is going to be, these are going to be very important fields um, and, I, and I think that learning from the antibody-based CNS disorders where antibodies are clearly gaining access into the brain, mm. which is also something that people have been told for years can't happen. <laughs> um, I think that we need to learn from that and understand how those antibodies are getting in because that's going to help us with therapies. Yeah, yeah. So sort of to carry on on that theme, um, in the last year we've seen a number of high-profile antibody drug trials which have yielded both positive and negative results um, for a number of neurological diseases. Do you think uh, immunology and inflammation could be the basis of an eventual preventative treatment for neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, it, there needs to be, um, I guess, it, what would be really nice in our country because everything gets directed by the National Institute of Health. Um, there need to be, you know, sort of focused um, calls for proposals that would learn about antibody entry into the CNS and learn about um, the role of antibodies in um, impacting on neural cell function. I think that what happens so much is that there's not really a basic understanding of how this works in patients who have these CNS disorders due to antibodies entering the CNS. And so I think a lot of clinical trials um, have stymied because there's simply, you know, a lack of um, understanding of how to get their agent into the right place in the brain. Mm. You know, we've moved in this direction where we only fund things that are disease-focused. There's very little funding in this country for, um, except for the National Science Foundation, for um, supporting research that's really for knowledge's sake. And I think that was a very big mistake when we moved away from that sort of research because there's certainly very important processes that do occur um, naturally in the CNS that nobody's studying because there's no funding for it. Mm. That's a, a really interesting point there. 
So, um, finally, in your opinion, what are the key questions in neuroinflammation and, inf and immunology to be addressed in the next five to ten years, and perhaps what are the, those are the big hurdles to overcome? I think I was mentioning some of them. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that there's um, there's a lot to be learned from autoimmune diseases that do exist. Um, so some of the newer psychiatric, newer no, I don't say newer, but new understanding in some psychiatric diseases, um, certainly multiple sclerosis. There's a lot of autoimmunity that occurs in patients, um, and there has been. Um, not as much funding towards understanding those diseases. There's been a lot of money sort of thrown at Alzheimer's disease, but I think what we should be doing is forming liaisons and forming the new way to look at inflammation in the brain so that all of the people who are now training are learning immunology and learning all of the sort of different rules so to speak, that occur in the CNS versus other tissues, because it isn't like other tissues. I mean, it is it is an immune specialized site, um, which means that there's and there's so much more information that needs to be obtained. But I, I think that um, the key questions that are going to be addressed are really going to be with regard to blood-brain barrier function, with regard to um, in, in, uh, autoimmune or infectious triggers of diseases that may have led to inappropriate immune immune cell entry. Um, there's now papers coming out showing the extent of lymphocyte um, entry and persistence in the brain. Um, and there's going to be host factors that are going to lead to these diseases in certain individuals that need to be uncovered. The other thing that I didn't mention that I think is really important are sex differences. Many of the genetic studies that look at um, genetic predisposition to Alzheimer's disease and other diseases really don't separate their populations into male and female at the outset. What they'll do is they'll compare, well, I know this is true for the MS world, they'll compare like non-MS to MS, and then if they come up with um, a site that seems to be different in an MS patient, they may then go into the MS patients and see if being male or female um, has, an, has an impact on whether or not um, that particular genetic abnormality, whether it be a single nucleotide polymorphism, et cetera, is more prevalent in male or female. Um, but what they need to do is they need to compare the four populations, male and female controls versus male and female diseased, because there's going to be genes that are just don't rise to the top when you're grouping men and women together that need to be separated. And I think that's another thing that we're going to need to be knowing and understanding in the next five to ten years because many of these diseases are more prevalent in one sex versus another. Great. That's really interesting. And thank you very much for talking to us today. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this NC Talks podcast from Neurology Central. For more podcasts, as well as to read exclusive interviews, journal articles and news, visit www.neurology-central.com.